Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is! Drawing board or... Miro! Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. A listener production. You've got nothing in your bank account, but you withdraw millions without anyone knowing. You could create the illusion that there was millions of dollars in the account when there actually wasn't. You hire private jets, girls, even islands. The spending got more and more outlandish. The bank does nothing. It was crazy. The police do nothing. He's whining and dining. He's falling in love. It's the party that never ends. Had the party going for a day and then I flew in on a chopper. Until something stops it all. The accounts had millions of bucks in them. I definitely fell in love with you. It was definitely the best ride I've ever been on. Welcome to ATM Boy. As a journalist, I spend a lot of my time trying to talk to crooks. Not always successfully, it must be said. They rarely ever come knocking on your door, unless they're very unhappy with you. However, in 2014, I received an email from a bank robber on the run. Technically, he wasn't on the run because there wasn't anybody chasing him. Three years earlier, Daniel Saunders had stolen millions from the ATM network of a bank and no one seemed interested in catching him. He said he needed to understand why nothing had happened and to tell his incredible story, whatever the consequences. In our first conversation, I'd scribbled down the heading ATM boy. Daniel Saunders was 29 at the time of the robbery, but he conducted the whole affair with the kind of exuberant stupidity that immature young men are known for. This was a foolhardy adventure, destined only for disaster, and he knew it. This is the story of how Daniel Saunders became ATM boy. I said to people, what do you want to do? You know, people dream and people want to do things. So this lady I met, lovely lady, she wanted to go to Paris to study French. And so that's what we did. We sent her to Paris. It's a lifelong experience that she'll never forget. So, you know, we went out and we bought, you know, a camera. We bought, you know. She said you changed her life. Well, Hopefully I did. Hopefully I did for the better. There was a point where I went, well, maybe they're just not going to come and get you. And then there was other points where I thought, well, maybe they are going to come and get you. Well, I mean, how hard do you have to work to give yourself up here? Yeah, well, that's right. yourself. Exactly, yeah, precisely. But the biggest thing was progressing with my life. I wanted to get it all sorted out. So I guess that's when I went to the media initially and said, look, this has happened. I'm just looking for some resolution. I'm more than happy to do a story with you about it. Um, you approached me in an email, and I can't remember the exact words, but it was, you know, this is an amazing story. You should be interested in And I was, you know. But then I thought to myself, well, uh, no one's chasing him. 
Yeah. I checked and no one was chasing you. Yeah. Here I am. I'm going to be the instrument of somebody going to jail. And I know jail would be a terrible place. I'm trying to think of what my reaction was, but I think it was pretty much like, mate, no. Yeah. Let's not do this. This is not a good idea. And you accepted that in good humour. Yeah. But then we, I think it was a couple of months past or whatever, and we met at a restaurant on Bridge Road. To me, you said lost, and you, you had some, some pronounced facial tics and mannerisms. Yeah. You were one bundle of tension. I just wanted to get a straight answer as to whether I'd be prosecuted, when I'd be prosecuted. So I decided, well, you know, I'll just take it into my own hands and I'll do it myself. The story began in February 2011 in Wangaratta, a small town off the Hume Highway in northern Victoria. Daniel Saunders can't explain exactly why it happened. But that's not really the point of our story. This is more about what happens when otherwise good people meet temptation. I was at uh, a bar called the, the Bull's Head in Wangaratta, uh, enjoying a, a beverage with my uh, chef mate, Mark. It came time for your shout? Yep. You didn't yep. have any cash? No, no, I didn't have any cash. I thought there might be uh, some cash in my in my savings account, so I went and checked, and yeah, that was not much. It was pretty dismal. First of all, I tried to get a balance on my MasterCard as well, and that couldn't be provided. Um, so I thought, oh, we'll try and transfer some money over. So I tried to transfer 200 and it just said transaction cancelled on the machine that spat the card back out. So I put the card back in and uh, got a balance on my savings account and there was 200. So I thought, okay, well, that works. So I got out of 200 and just went back to the bar and just kept drinking. After I sort of had a few drinks and then said goodbye to Mark, I went back to the ATM and and try to get a balance again from the credit card. And then I, I don't know, I was just a bit, I was just a bit, you know, tipsy, I guess. So I just sort of tried to transfer another 200 and then that worked. So then I did another 500 and then I did 600 and then I had two cards. So I took out a thousand dollars on either card and I don't really know, I can't really tell you why, why I did it. I mean, it wasn't uh, like I was gonna, you know, do anything crazy in Wangaratta you know, one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> nothing was open anymore, you know, like, and then woke up in the morning and the, and the, the money's in the wallet next to me. And I was just like, oh, it's very odd. So uh, it was sort of treated like a little windfall, I guess, or, or something like that. And I, I thought it was on my account. So I thought, oh, well, you know, it's just going to be in debit now and I'll have to pay it back. And, and that's, that's the end of it. Over that, over that week, um, you know, I, I partied a bit and went out and had a few drinks and, and that sort of thing. Then I guess I tried it again that night and I worked out that I could just change the account balance and put it into credit again um, via doing a transfer. But so where was the money coming from? It's funny, it's become, it's become like a, a search for answers in a way. Um, you know, my, my sort of thinking is the ATM was disconnected from the bank and then once it became connected, then it approved the transfer and hence they knew that, you know, there'd be money, there was money down on the account, so they'd debit the account. Um, what I learned over time is that if you sort of stayed one step ahead of that process, you could actually create the illusion that there was, you know, millions of dollars in the account when there actually wasn't. Mm. Yeah. But at, th- at this point, did you think you are doing something wrong? Well... Yeah, I thought I was doing something wrong probably, but overdrawing my my bank account. So essentially I thought it was mine 
you know, sort of it will become my debt. So, you know, ultimately I'm going to have to be responsible for it. So, mm. Had you had much of a, I mean, had you been in trouble before this? No, no, never, 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 never did anything before, no. His father, a TV newsreader who died when Dan was 15, had instilled a sense of right and wrong in his son. A Catholic education had reinforced this. He'd never held a driver's licence, so there was not even a speeding ticket or a parking fine on his record. But over the next four and a half months, his moral values would disintegrate. It wasn't a rational thing, wasn't it? I'm going to take $2 million off the NAB bank and this is how I'm going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to, how I was doing anything. I mean, it just, I wanted to see what would happen next. He'd always worked in hospitality, from hotels to five-star restaurants. He loved a punt and a drink and to be around people enjoying themselves, according to former workmates like Emily. I think definitely he does like to give people a really good time and he's very good at picking what suits which person so he's quite flexible in that and he does like to read people and really offer them something that they will know that that's been a really great experience for them and now with his magic atm card he had a choice he could indulge his love of showing people and himself a good time or he could stop and confess his girlfriend of four years was bound to take a dim view she was a religion teacher at the local primary school He'd moved up from Melbourne to be with her when she'd returned home to Wangaratta. They were saving up to buy a property and start a family. But I don't think his heart was really in it. This was obvious when the card came along. Each night he was making the transfers, getting deeper into debt, obliterating any plans he and his partner had made. He was tending bar at a local tavern and running the pub's betting agency, so he was never going to earn enough to pay the money back, especially when ATM boy could steal more every night after work. First week is is a bit of a blur um, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things going through my mind at that time, and um, I think I basically spent a lot of time trying to get the money to pay the debt back. Because it gets to $20,000, you're at work there, Yep. you get a tip, Yep. what happened next? Yeah, so I, uh, I, got, I got a tip from a racehorse trainer and uh, he said, you know, definitely run the first race. So I thought I'll have 12000 um, on this horse just to place. And um, yeah, what, it, it missed the start by about four lengths and, and ran four. So yeah, it was never meant to be. It was never meant to uh, fix it all at that point, I guess. But, you know, I don't even know if I would have fixed it, to be honest. Um, but, you know, the, the tab rang up one day and said, oh, someone there's, you know, spent, you know, more money than the tab would spend in three weeks in a Tuesday night or a Tuesday afternoon. Um, and I got fired as a result of that. And it was funny, after after they fired me and, you know, had me in the, in the meeting room and all the rest of it, they asked me if I had a gambling problem. <laughs> now, I don't know, you know, Where's the where's the duty of care start and begin? I mean, because they certainly weren't concerned with the gambling problem while they were looking for the money. Um, but afterwards, afterwards, apparently they were. And uh, the best way to deal with someone with a gambling problem is to give them a sack on the spot. Yeah. So Dan didn't tell his girlfriend any of this, but word was getting around about his sudden transformation from barman to high roller. You lost your job. Yeah. You're starting to do some outlandish things. You're going into bars with your mates. Yeah. And throwing money on the ground. Yep, yep. And taking bets on 
who picks it up or how fast it's picked up. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was ever any bets, but we definitely, yeah. And um, we'd shout the whole bar drinks and, and you do that in a town like Wangaratta, everyone freaks out. Everyone's like, what are these blokes into? So I think, you know, f- from losing my job and sort of stories like that getting stemmed back to the other half, I think that was, you know, her her basis for sort of breaking it off. And how did that go? It was a text message and it was obviously, you know, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you why. The exact reason that, you know, she ended things, I couldn't even tell you why that was. But I mean, really, it doesn't it doesn't matter because she could have ended it for a whole series of reasons. Um, there you are, early March 2011, no girlfriend, no job, no reason to be in Wangaratta anymore, yep. this hot debit card in your hand. Yep. It's decision time, Daniel Saunders. Ultimately, it was my decision to keep going. I just wanted to see what happened next. So you decide, I'm not going to call the bank. I'm going to take this car out on the highway. Yep. See how fast it'll go. swings. You may disapprove of what Dan did. However, I defy you not to stick around to hear what happened. You may even experience a twinge of envy. But what plays out is not exactly what you think. Daniel Saunders had found an easy way to rob the National Australia Bank. And in March 2011, back in Melbourne, he embarked on an epic spending spree. The transactions got so big that I, there's no way I was going to be able to pay it back. The spending got more and more outlandish and more and more, you know, stupid. The hotel room became the hotel suite. The first class ticket became the private jet. And it was crazy. It wasn't, there's no other word to say. It was just out of reality. I'd always thought about what I'd do in that sort of situation. If you're a high roller and, you know, where you'd go and what you'd do and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I had a definite bank of, you know, things that I could check off a list. Absolutely, yeah. Friends had the fly-in, fly-out role, you know, it's be sending boarding passes across the country going, yeah, you got you to make sure you're on this plane because we're going here and, you know, that sort of thing, yeah. One time we rented a, a place in the Yarra Valley, just a, a big house, big estate, and... Um, a couple of the guys went driving a minibus around town to the different backpacker bars and things like that and just, you know, telling people that there was a party on if they wanted to jump on the bus. And then we, uh, then we headed out to uh, the Yarra Valley and, um, and they, they got the party set up and, you know, all the rest of it and had the party going for a day and then I flew in on a chopper from the airport because I was in Sydney or something at the time while I was setting it up. So we went to the races and met people and took them out for dinner and people ended up staying for a couple of weeks because we'd just say, well, you know, if you want to tag along, we'll get you a room too and you can just come out for dinner with us and, you know, do whatever we're doing and, you know. A month and a half in, the transactions got bigger and, you know, if you have a look at one of the statements, you'll see that there's there's about a quarter of a million in one month. I went to a lot of shops I wouldn't normally go to and would never go again. Louis Vuitton, Hugo Boss, Chanel, Cartier, all those perceived high-end brands, um, you know, go and deck out the full kit in outfits and, you know, I bought a pair of uh, Gucci red shoes, I think they were. And, How much? Oh, maybe two grand. I'm not sure. A $2,000 pair of red shoes. Yeah, yeah. And they like, just look stupid. Like, they just look right out there. You're in Sydney. Homeless guy approaches you. He's looking for some money for a room for the night. Yeah, he asked for, uh, he asked for you know, I'm trying to get together $12 for a, for a hostel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, yeah, just said, oh, well, you know, we can do better than that. You know, we'll put you up in the Hilton and, uh, you know, you can order whatever room service you want and, uh, and no problem, just, just leave in the morning and, you know, there you go. So. You've done your good deed. Yeah. Phone rings in the morning. Yeah, phone, phone rings in the morning. It's uh, the duty manager from the, uh, from the Hilton. Uh, there's actually been a, a couple of items missing from the room. You know, a rope, a kettle, um, uh, there, was a, there was an iron. And um, also it looks like the, uh, the TVs tried to be removed from the wall. Someone's <laughs> tried to remove the TV. And I said, oh. And I remember thinking at the time, I remember thinking, you know, oh, geez, I've done something nice for this guy. And, you know, like, you know, he's just, you know, shit in my face type thing. But um, I quickly, you know, came back to the thought, well, hang on a second, what are you doing? You're just, you know, you're doing the exact same thing, just on a, on a, on a larger scale, you know, in a different, different way, so. And there were girls. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yep. How many? I don't know. I don't know exactly. Um, all I can say is that my prowess is not such that it was a big feature of every day. Uh, absolutely not. Some people... Who came along for the ride? I mean, who doesn't like to go out for dinner with with a beautiful looking person? You know what I mean? Like, who doesn't like to go travelling with a gorgeous girl who's going to be a joy to be with? I mean, it was yeah, sure there was sex and um, drugs and rock and roll and all the rest of it, but it's not. It wasn't the you know the be all and end all of the whole thing. It was just it was a part of it. To be fair and accurate, there were a lot of girls and a lot of sex. Here's one typical night. Basically dinner, a bit of gambling, and then uh, over to uh, King Street, went down to uh, the gentlemen's clubs and uh, walked in and started throwing a bit of cash around and uh, bought a few bottles of champagne. How many? Uh, oh, in the end, it was probably about 30. 30? Yeah, in the end. It was great, you know, like everyone was having a good time. These guys just had all the, you know, well, seemingly all the money in the world, so they were attracting the attention of all of the girls, which sort of, after a while... Sort of, I think it freaked uh, the management out and security out a bit, and they ended up uh, ended up sort of asking us politely to leave. You know, how much so, did you spend that? Oh, I think we probably spent about ten grand in there, probably. And you got kicked out. Well, go yeah. figure. Then there was the mobile party. A friend of mine found that on the internet, and I uh, thought that'd be a laugh, so we did that. And uh, what happened? Yeah, they bring everything, everything you need to party. They they bring. They make sure you're uh, looked after. Girls, drugs, booze. Yeah, everything, everything. Whatever you want. And that wasn't a good night? Oh, it was a great night, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you could have done better, you reckon? Well, you know, like, given the money, I could have done better, yeah, probably. But, right. yeah. While his friends spent the bank's money on prostitutes and strippers, Saunders was playing boyfriend to a string of beautiful women he'd met in bars and restaurants. To them, he was a high-flying millionaire, but with an endearing common touch. All he wanted was for everyone to have a great time. And then, you know, if I'd meet a lady, I'd say, you know, what would you like? Do you want to go to Tiffany's? Do you want to go to, you know, Gucci? Do you want a handbag? You know, what's on your on your wish list? And then that created sort of, I guess, um, fake real relationships, if you want. Dan met Suzanne in a Sydney restaurant. The evening was amazing. Like, he... I mean, I don't, I don't like to think that I'm materialistic and drawn to money, but it just felt special and I'd never been treated like that before. And I just walked away going, oh, wow, that was, I don't know if it was like a dream, but I was, I liked that. I liked it. I mean, you suddenly became someone, I guess. Suzanne believes she'd met a successful young financier in that Sydney restaurant. Suzanne's not her real name, by the way. It crossed my mind what's going on. You're never working. 
you know, you're living at the park high. I mean, he was a decent enough guy. He was a nice guy. I didn't get the feeling that he was doing this to, you know, all the girls. But actually, he was. Well, it, it, that was that was a lot. I couldn't even put a, I couldn't even put a number on it. I, yes, you could. Uh, well, you know, like there was. You told me seven. Well, no, no, no. There was definitely lots of women, and you know, you make connections with people, and you know, you want that to keep going. At one stage, there was probably there was a lady in one hotel room in Melbourne, and then another house in Sydney, and then somewhere else, and you know, I was just flying between you know, all the different spots. For me, this is where the easy bank robbery starts to get more complicated. Each day was full of lies and deception of real people like Suzanne. Can I ask you, did you kind of slightly fall in love with him a little bit, given this whole aura? Yes, definitely. Um, He has a charm about him. Um, He has a great sense of humour. He would make me laugh. Um, We had a lot to talk about. I don't know if a lot of it was true now. I felt like it, it, looking back now, it was all a fantasy, really. I mean, I, I did think when I met Dan and started seeing him, I, I actually thought I could see myself with him forever, really. You know, everything was perfect, really. Were there any really memorable moments that, that stay in your mind? I think got more the deep conversations. I mean, how boring life can be. And he was right. Like, he goes, who wants to work a nine-to-five and catch a train home every day and, and hate their job? And he would talk about like when he was younger and growing up and his mum, I remember him saying his mum had an attitude towards finances where she's never going to get ahead and life is a struggle. Now, Suzanne tells a slightly different story, that yes, the money was special and it, it, as you say, it was a foot in the door or whatever you want to call it, but it was the quiet moments that she remembers yeah. where you're sitting there and you're actually revealing stuff about yourself. Yeah, real things. Yeah, and she said she fell in love with you. Yeah, in those moments, not yeah. in the jets, not in the hotels, not in the restaurant, not in the in Tiffany's, but in those moments, did you fall in love with her? Oh, look, I definitely had uh, you know strong feelings for her for sure, but it wasn't. I didn't think at that time I could fall in love with anyone because it was just a you know it, it wasn't real. It was always going to end. I wasn't thinking about different relationships I was involved in at the time. I was thinking about how much do I need to transfer tonight to let this thing keep going. So there were no true emotional no, absolutely. moments or commitments or relationships. It was no. all about the money. <laughs> I, I'm just saying the money created it. If you'd known that he was Daniel Saunders, barman from a country town, would you have given him the time of day, to be honest? Yeah, shit. <laughs> You know what? Probably not. Dan's alter ego, ATM boy, was content to keep living the lie as long as it lasted. There's women I met during that time who, you know, sort of take it for what it was. They realise now that they go, well, that was one out of the box and probably uh, I should just treat it as that. But where's the the fakeness and the realness stop? I mean, you know, like you've got... It's in you. Yeah. It's in you. But, I mean, how can you make a calculated decision of what you're going to do relationship-wise when you're doing something so crazy otherwise? Like, yeah, but you did. Like, but yeah. you did. You did, an, you did all those moments. You made all those choices. You yeah. decided not to tell her what was going on. Nobody knew what Dan was going through, the pressure and isolation he was feeling, wondering when his fantasy life would collapse with one phone call from the bank. I'm imagining the scene. Parties raging, girls, music. Your phone rings. 
it's the bank. Yeah. Yeah. That happened a few times. Yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely. They they call and, you know, ask if it was me using my credit card and uh, and I'd say, yeah, yeah, it's me. Most of the time they'd say, oh, thanks very much. No worries. Uh, we want to make sure it's uh, you using your credit card. And I'd say, yeah, it's me. Which I thought, oh, that's got to be a stitch up as well. Because, you know, they've got to be like recording all this and they're just, you know, getting a dossier together. And, you know, eventually they're going to just, you know, say you nabbed. By the nab. Yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah, I didn't actually mean that, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somehow the fear that he would eventually be caught and locked up drove the party even harder. Then there was the night that you decided that you really, you really should show the bank a little bit of gratitude. Yeah, yeah. So you threw on a drinks. Watermark bar uh, underneath, the, uh, underneath the nab building in the Docklands in Melbourne. Put a sign at the bottom of the uh, escalators at, uh, at the Docklands saying, you know, uh, NAB staff drinks at Watermark Bar, you know, full bar, you know, uh, full bar on, uh, just just come along, everyone welcome. So, you know, we filled up the place with, um, you know, two, two, three hundred sort of, uh, sort of people and they had, a, they had a PA system and stuff there. So, you know, uh, mate got up and, and gave a speech and just said thanks to the bank for everything and no one knew what the hell was going on, but they knew there was free drinks and everyone was enjoying themselves, so no one really cared, yeah. You knew in the back, in the back of your mind that this thing could at any time and that the next sound you could hear would be the jail cell door closing behind you. Yeah. And so the party raged on, but Saunders was hiding a growing sense of anxiety. Yeah, no, I definitely used to play on my mind. I used to have dreams and things uh, during during the time. Um, I remember one dream I had, uh, I was in uh, the, the penthouse suite at the Shangri-La in, in Sydney. I dreamt that the SWAT team had come into the, the hallway next to the room and, you know, they were about to knock on the door or belt the door down or whatever. And... Um, I woke up in a, in a pool of sweat and um, then relief turned to sort of panic when the doorbell rang straight after I woke up and uh, walked to the door and I thought, yeah, this is it, this is it, I'm, I'm going to go here. And I opened the door and it was um, the, the maid, she said, would you like some fresh towels? <laughs> And I said, I said, uh, no, nah, no, nah, I'm all right. And uh, I closed the door and I remember walking back and, and saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I will have some fresh towels. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I needed them after I was sweating so much. Saunders had expected this free money would last only a few days. Now he was more than two months in. He could have stopped making the transfers and confessed what he was doing, but he was having too much fun. And the bank had done nothing to stop him. How much could he steal before someone noticed? To answer that meant going to the next level, to private jets and limousines, island resorts and designer clothes. Whatever decadence he and his friends dreamed up, the card could supply. They would gorge themselves in high-class restaurants, bars and brothels. He also discovered he could transfer the money anywhere in the world. He'd never been overseas before, and now he could see the world on the bank's cash. But that would come with a cost. He would have to leave his old life behind. To that point, you were somewhat still redeemable. But if you'd taken that opportunity to go overseas, you never would have faced the music. And I wonder whether you'd even be still the same person. Would you become at that moment a criminal in your own definition? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess yes and no. Yes or no? Um. Come back for part two to see how this unholy mess unfolds. 
The producer was Sarah Grinberg. Mixing, editing and theme music by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. This has been a Real Crime production. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Listener.